Hello and welcome to another edition of Christian Deep Dive. This is episode six of a series called The Sovereign Spirit. And today we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. This is usually highlighted by everybody when we're talking about this because this is where Paul was dealing with some serious issues. In consideration of this, let's see what Jesus said about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He told the disciples in Luke 24:49, "Tarry in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high, so that they would be why? So they be witnesses to him." See, at this point, they were not yet fit to be witnesses. Let's not forget that. They've been with him for three years. They heard his sermons. They had his miracles. They'd seen him crucified on the cross. They saw him dead and buried, and then they saw him risen bodily from the grave. These men were with him in the upper room in Jerusalem after his resurrection. And yet, still, the purpose he gave the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to enable them to witness, to bear testimony. And the way that these were to happen was through the giving of spiritual gifts, which is why I'm doing this whole series, as here we are years and years and years later, uh, it has become so controversial. And in some ways, maybe it shouldn't be, but it is. Um, now, we've already seen that it's possible for one to be baptized with the Holy Spirit without having some of these special gifts. I've mentioned that, uh, that that's clear. Uh, to me, it's made clear in the passages in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and equally clear in the long history of the church if you study it. I've given examples of people, uh, the people of God baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking particularly of Whitfield, uh, the Wesley brothers, D.L. Moody, many others, which names uh, that I've read about that you would probably wouldn't recognize unless you study these things. Now, that's not to say that there are to be no manifestation of gifts at this present time because it wasn't poured out on these guys. I hope I've taught you that we have to at least be open to this. So I'll tell you up front, just to summarize, I disagree with those who say that these things were completely confined to the apostolic period but I equally disagree with people I've met in churches I've been to that say that these things should always be manifested in the church. The name of the series is The Sovereignty of the Spirit, and I think the Spirit is sovereign as far as what he's going to do when he does or does not give power for utterance, power of speech, power of preaching, often with the use of some of these particular gifts. So you never know, although I think it's rare, and we've talked about it being rare, we should consider all these things again, because at any moment, the Spirit in his sovereignty, especially if we're in the last days, uh, may decide at any moment, because he's sovereign, to give pour out some of these gifts again in various places. And so to me, that's why we've got to familiar, be familiar with the teaching and the cautions that Paul taught about, particularly in these chapters that I've mentioned in 1 Corinthians. And again, the greatest test of anything regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit and any gifts is the place given to Jesus Christ in it. Is he made center? Is the whole reason for everything because of him? And yet we've seen that even that is not enough in itself because all the counterfeits and things that come in. And so I want to consider some of the teaching in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Now, if, you, if you've read 1 Corinthians, if you're familiar with it, Paul makes it particularly clear he's not writing to the Corinthians just for the heck of it, but for one reason. The church had become divided into groups and sects and division. 
they were carnally minded. Um, there were some saying, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Uh, divided whether they should eat meat offered to idols or not. Uh, these things had been matter of division, and especially in the trouble over the question of spiritual gifts, which I think is why the apostle writes to him. If they had not abused these gifts, it's possible he would not have written this particular letter. But they did, and so Paul's whole subject in at least these three chapters is to correct this abuse. It's interesting that the apostle kind of writes to them with a sense of wonder or astonishment. He kind of can't believe that this is going on. He tells them that they should be children uh, in malice, but men in understanding. He says, brethren, in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brethren, be not children in understanding. However, in malice be ye children, but in understanding be like men. You see, they were behaving like children. He writes to them in order to give them a right sense of I'd say proportion with regards to these gifts. So what is Paul's overall teaching? I'm not going to go into the details of each particular gift. It'd be nice if I had a lot more time or if I wanted to have, have this be a lot longer, perhaps I will do down the road. But for what I'm trying to do with this series, it's not important because really what's true of any one gift is true of all the gifts since they're given by the same spirit. Um, but he has one main point that he keeps as emphasizing as we will see. The first and foremost thing I think concerns the place and the purpose of these gifts in the life of the individual Christian and in the life of the church. And I think here's the crux of it. The apostles teaching is that they should never ever be regarded as ends in themselves. Never. Um, I think the danger I've seen, the danger throughout history, is that people regard these gifts as the ends in themselves, and they forget their whole object and purpose. Uh, I've turned on TV shows, late night preachers, that kind of thing, and some of these channels that are clearly just completely uh, charismatic, and all they're talking about, some of them I've watched them, and they talk about the gifts, the gifts, the gifts, and I never really see them pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just all about the gifts, coveting the gifts all about the gifts. Um, the gifts should never be put in the center. And what was happening in Corinth is they were becoming central, um, occupying the stage, if you want to say. And that's why the apostle has to rebuke the Corinthian church. I think he's telling them, you've got this all out of proportion. These gifts were not made to be central. Uh, in other words, we should never just be constantly talking about the gifts. If you go to a church or you're watching a TV preacher and all they ever talk about is the gifts, get out of there because the center is supposed to be our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, take the New Testament as a whole, and you can't see that what dominates the New Testament is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Everything in the New Testament points to him. There's a lot of things that are incidental, yeah, including this question of gifts, yes, but the gifts are not central to the New Testament. It's what? It's the Lord. I've talked about studying revivals throughout history throughout this series, and it's the same thing, where it was a true and complete Holy Spirit revival, even where remarkable things and phenomena have been evident, those things were not at the center, but it was the Lord himself. If anything went off half crazy, it was when afterwards things became the Lord was no longer the center, but the focus on gifts and all that type of thing was. And then it went crazy and it went into fanaticism at that point. It's called, it's called going out of balance, really. The gifts were never meant to occupy, as I said, center stage. 
And it's worse when they become the cause of division or they divide a church into sects or groups because of the different gifts and bragging about various ones and things like that, which they've done at Corinth. It's because of this that Paul writes these letters, especially this one, and reprimands them. Um, he, it seems to me to form movements with respect to the gifts of the Spirit is certainly unscriptural. But of course, and this is a little segue, uh, this doesn't just apply to spiritual gifts. You know, churches can get out of balance when they focus on any one movement. Uh, for example, there's some churches that all they talk about is the second coming of Christ, a subject I'm very interested in, a subject that actually drew me into the church and, and helped me seek Christ when I did because I was fascinated with the idea that Christ was coming back again. But for the first few years of my uh, Christianity, that's all I focused on. I was completely out of balance. I was always studying that. That's all I was thinking about. That's all I was I was looking at. And that's being out of balance as well. You need to have that in your repertoire. You need to be studying that, but you need to be studying every aspect of Jesus's lordship, every aspect of what he's trying to teach us. And for the longest time, I was out of balance. But I see that because I've seen a lot of people out of balance with regards to the gifts. That's all they teach. That's all they talk about. Uh, that's all that's concerned, and that is what, like I said, being out of balance. So again, that's not to say that the gifts themselves are wrong, but the attitude towards them, in my opinion, is wrong in our day and age in many places, and already really out of context with the teaching of Scripture. Uh, the people in Corinth were too excited about them. There's people today that are too excited about them. And this takes them completely out of balance into disorder, almost in causing a riot in some place. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 14? Let all things be done decently and in order. And these people were so undisciplined, he had to say, if the whole church came together in one place and they all speak in tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, aren't they going to say that you're all mad, that you're all crazy? You know, when the church gives the impression to any outsiders coming in that uh, the church consists of a bunch of wackos or maniacs, uh, the church is doing the exact opposite of what the Lord, I think, intended the church to do. In Corinth, there was great disorder here simply because they were not viewing these gifts in the right way. Gifts had become everything, and they wanted to show, people wanted to show that they had the gifts, and they were all doing it at the same time. So a stranger coming in is going to say, these people are crazy. Another thing that happened in Corinth is a spirit of competition had come in with respect to the gifts. That's the whole burden, really, of most of the 12th chapter. Paul writes, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not the body, is it therefore not of the body? You see, these gifts differ. Paul lists, I think, nine different gifts, some of which we may say are more spectacular than the others. But because they got the whole subject out of proportion, people were becoming jealous of one another, and the men with the greater gifts, quote-unquote, tended to despise the others, and the whole church was in a state of turmoil, which is showing an utter lack of discipline. And it seems that the Corinthian church was literally filled with envy of one another. The whole condition of the church was, uh, you got to believe, was not happy and, and was not going well at all, according to Paul. Whatever these gifts can be given... I think the devil comes in and gets us to look at them the wrong way, and we begin to display ourselves and show off the gift instead of pointing to Jesus. Um, you know, again, balance. In a prayer meeting, if you have a prayer meeting, uh, the ideal prayer meeting is one in which everybody present takes part. 
But sometimes, haven't you been to prayer meetings where some people pray at such length and display themselves, there's no time for anyone else? I think Paul is teaching here that we should think of one another and not be making a display. These people were guilty of doing that, and it's always one of the dangers that come in. Now, also in this area, keep in mind, look what the Apostle Paul emphasized is the importance of putting the gifts into the right order. There's no doubt at all that the main trouble in Corinth was that the gift of tongues would be given too much prominence. I think that's the main thrust overall if you look at the three chapters, but Paul puts it on the list last. But let me be clear. Paul says specifically prohibit not to speak in tongues. We can't do that. But it's equally clear, he says, don't put it first. Don't monopolize uh, the whole of the church while speaking in tongues is because that's not its place. He says, he does say, covet earnestly the best gifts, adding later on in chapter 14, follow after charity, but desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. To show the importance of prophecy over and against tongues, I think he gives us this teaching with regards to um, the merits of prophesying and speaking in tongues. If you look at the whole 14th chapter, it's really designed to show that tongues must never be the one thing to be talked about. It must not be the one thing that everybody covets, nor must it monopolize all the attention. And that's what he condemns. And see, that's what I've seen in my lifetime when I've been in, and I've been in many charismatic and Pentecostal churches. Some of them, certainly not all of them, that's all they emphasize. That's all they talk about. You got to speak in tongues. You got to speak in tongues. You got to speak in tongues. And that's just out of balance. And certainly it's not in scripture. Um, that gift is certainly spectacular and it's exciting, but that's exactly where the devil sees his opportunity. I think that's where he gets people to lose their sense of balance and proportion so that it always becomes the center. It shouldn't be. Uh, it should always be put last on the list because it seems to be the least of the gifts. It is a spiritual gift. I mean, Paul did say, I would that you all speak in tongues. So obviously, though, they didn't all do so. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said that. He says that he himself spoke in tongues and thanks God for it. But Paul kept it in order in its right place because he says in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding rather than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So you see how things can be abused because people forget the place and purpose and object of these gifts, which is to glorify the Lord. If your focus is to glorify the Lord, then you're not going to be interested in showing off your gift to the public or competing with someone else. You're going to be focused on the Lord. So keep your focus on the Lord. Now, a perfect example of that is in Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, and they saw the lame man laid daily at what they called the beautiful gate, and they were empowered to heal him. Here's a guy who had never walked in his life, and Peter said to him, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, notice, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the actual performance of this miracle, Peter's careful to put the Lord at the very center. He'd been given this gift, and here the gift of miracles is being exercised. But notice the way that he performed the miracle. Notice what he said after it. People were amazed. They were filled with wonder and amazement. And what did Peter say? He said to the people, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so earnestly as though by our own power or holiness we made this man to walk? You see, he would not let himself be put in the center, nor have attention focused on himself. Now, how often have you seen 
certain extravagant TV preachers put total emphasis on themselves. It's, it's shameful. No, Peter says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, who you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So Peter goes on preaching Jesus Christ. He doesn't give them an address on gifts. He manifests the gift. The purpose of the gift is to call attention to the Lord. You don't stop with the gifts and the attention should never be focused on them. You should not be preaching and teaching about gifts. You are to preach Christ. You are to preach what he does, how he sends the Spirit, and how the Spirit in turn may or may not give these gifts. You see, people that found a movement on gifts, in other words, they, they start a church or they start an entire movement on the gifts of the Spirit, they say very, overall, they say very little about the Lord because any teaching and preaching that's going on is going about the gifts and doesn't keep the Lord central, and it really overrules everything they're, they're already wrong teaching. This kind of teaching historically has led to trouble and eventually disaster, and I've seen that as I've studied church history. You know, one of the objects of the gifts, again, as we see with Peter, is evangelistic. Um, the Apostle Paul, getting back to 1 Corinthians 14, makes this really plain when he says, with regard to the gift of tongues, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, let me give you an example that I heard about where it's something I thought that was legitimate. There was a church up in Washington State where a man invited a certain person, a, a black man from Africa, to his church. Now, this guy did not want to go to church. He was visiting. He just didn't want to go. But he went with them because it was his host, and he thought it was the right thing to do. Well, they get into the church, and in the middle of the worship service, a white man down front starts, starts speaking in tongues. And this black fellow was astonished because what he was speaking was a very little-known dialect from a part of Africa that he was familiar with. This guy was a scholar, so he knew this dialect. And in this dialect, the man down there that was saying it was, was praising and glorifying Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, this hit this man so hard that he was willing at that point to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ because he realized there had to be something to this. You see, it was evangelistic. You know, nobody called this man forward and to open up his mouth and say the first thing that came to him and speak in tongues. He got hit during the service. He spoke in tongues. It witnessed to this man. To me, that is the proper sequence of how that, what would happen in a case like that with that particular gift. It was evangelistic. It pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it probably never happened again in that church or to that man because why? In that church, it wasn't overemphasized. It was just something that happened. Could have happened again. I'm not saying it can't. The Spirit is sovereign. But again, they didn't develop a doctrine out of it. They didn't drop. They didn't come up with the first church of uh, speaking in tongues in this particular county or anything like that, like happens a lot of times. See, this is important because any of the great movements of the Spirit as recorded in Scripture and in the subsequent history of the church through great revivals have always been great evangelical movements. God's way has been to revive his people, and then because they're revived, his power is manifested in their preaching, their witness, their testimony, and in their lives. Um, this is really, as I've looked at church history again, the characteristics, the characteristics of a true movement of the Spirit, it's always been outreach. Um, 
On the other hand, the tendency of anything counterfeit that I've seen is usually a small inward movement where you see a little group of people being formed and they focus on the gifts and there's nobody gets any nobody outside of the little group gets any benefit. It's all about making money or the gifts or showing off or that type of thing. Um, so what I'm saying is watch the order of how things happen. It starts in the church, which is empowered to witness and testify boldly of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not given that we just have wonderful experiences or marvelous sensations within us or even to solve uh, problems for us. That's certainly a part of the work of the Spirit, but it's not the primary object. The primary object, again, is so that the Lord may be known. And I think we're all entitled to judge anything that claims to be a movement of the Spirit. And I'm not here referring to an organized movement in conjunction with the Spirit or one concerned to teach about the Spirit. I'm talking about a movement of the Spirit himself, the action of the Spirit. You're entitled to test that by applying it to this key evangelical test. Is it something that's glorifying God? Is it pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ? The devil, of course, is always going to tempt us. He's always tempted people to be interested merely in phenomenal things or experiences. We're all still in the flesh, and we're all anxious to have certainty and insurances of some sort. So the danger is that we may be turned inward in such a way we're only interested in sensation and experience and forget the whole reason for this and what's being profited. And that's that's really true of, of the doctrine overall of the Holy Spirit and really of every church service, even just a regular evangelical rally. You know, there's people that just go from great rallies. They go from meeting to meeting, waiting for some feeling, some thrill or some excitement. But as you watch these people, they don't grow, they don't profit, nor do they increase in understanding for they're not interested in those things. All they want is the excitement of an experience. The apostles' teaching shows that that's really wrong. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to, quote, profit with all. And it's always to be what? An edifying of the church. I remember there was a lady uh, when I was an elder in a certain church that came to me and she was she was kind of bragging. She said, well, not only do I hear the Sunday sermon and go to Wednesday night and hear a sermon, but I listen to three other TV preachers on Sunday, one on Monday night, a radio guy on Wednesday. In other words, she was telling me that she listened to probably about 10 sermons in one given week. And I was able to discern that she wasn't really getting anything out of any of them. You know, she it was like eating sugar. She was just getting on a high. She was getting on experience. The people she was tuning into were some of these people that uh, were making you feel good, but in my opinion, teaching false doctrine. And she was living on this wave of excitement, but she wasn't growing at all as a Christian, in my opinion. Now, let's, co let's cover something else. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 to covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, it's at this point where I think the enemy comes in once more to take advantage of such a thing. Now, let's be clear before I proceed. Yeah, it's right there. We are exhorted to seek the gifts, desire them, and to do so earnestly. But this is where the danger comes in. See, there's wrong ways of seeking the gifts, as I hope you're understanding from what I've said already. I'll give you an example. What is the spirit in which you're seeking the gift? If you're seeking these things with a selfish motive, like I think some of the Corinthians were, or merely the desire to make ourselves important, which I think some of the Corinthians were, so that we can speak and be prominent in giving testimony, rather than for edification of the church, then we're already wrong. 
So that's the first thing we got to ask ourselves. Why do I desire these gifts? What is my motive and what is my object? Do you want it in order to have some thrilling and exciting experience? Like I said, you're already wrong. The Holy Spirit is sent to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never forget that. Um, that the, the motive should always be to know him so that we may minister to what? His glory and to his praise. So I got to reiterate something I think I've said before. I've touched on it. I want to go into a little bit deeper. But this is something I just saw so much that uh, I've, I've got to bring it up again. And that is the teaching that is popular today in a lot of places that the quickest way of obtaining a baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues, which they say is very wonderful. If you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, start with tongues, and then that will probably lead you to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, now that I know a lot more than I did a long time ago, this is really incredible because it really cuts across the whole of the teaching of the New Testament that says the gift of the tongues is one of the manifestations of the spirit, not the other way around. So you don't start with tongues and then go to the spirit. You have the spirit and the gift of tongues can be, I emphasize, can be one proof of it. But now the exact opposite is being taught. And that's really gone crazy. Where first you just don't seek tongues, seek tongues, seek tongues, and then you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's incorrect. Instead, I've been to services like this where people are told to come forward. Oh, you want the Holy Spirit? You're anxious to receive the best which God has for us and to receive this? Well, here's what you got to do. Just stay after the meeting or come forward during the meeting. Sit in the chair. Relax yourself as much as you can. Relax your body. And we're told that the Lord in the upper room breathed the Holy Spirit. Therefore, that's what you got to do. So the next step is put your head, sit in the chair, put your head back. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe in. So you can breathe in the Holy Spirit. Relax and breathe in. That's actually being taught. I've seen it. But where do you find that anywhere in the New Testament? As I said in Section 5, this is pure um, psychological training. It's hypnotism to a degree and the power of suggestion. Um, it's, I've seen it being done on TV, um, and it makes me sick. But there's Christian people that teach this kind of thing that the critics and critics are able to make their attacks while the whole world just laughs in derision. It's just, it's just astonishing. Where do you see anywhere in the New Testament where people are told to relax, breathe in deeply to do anything? No, what you find are Christians are gathered together, praying to God, seeking him, and suddenly he comes upon them. In the household of Cornelius, they were sitting, listening to the preaching of Peter, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. In Ephesus, Paul lays hands upon them and the gift is received. They knew nothing by way of relaxing and deep breathing. That's just pure psychobabble. But there's a lot of innocent people who follow this teaching, who do not study the word of God. They finally imagine that they've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and they have not. They've either been hypnotized by somebody or hypnotized themselves, and they've entered into a state of what I'll call hysteria, um, I know John MacArthur calls it charismania. And, you know, as I've already said, some of this stuff can be opening up the door to dark spirits and things like that. It's, it's very, very dangerous. Let me give you another illustration of right and wrong. Take again this question of speaking in tongues. If a person comes to me and tells me of some great occasion in his life when while praying, the Holy Spirit suddenly came on him and he was lifted up out of himself and found himself speaking in a strange tongue. 
I'm ready to believe him in that particular case, especially when he tells me that it's only happened very infrequently. I can accept that as logically being an authentic experience. But if I read something like this, or I've seen something like this and see what I just described, you want to speak in tongues very well. All you got to do is surrender your jaw, your tongue, and let them go. Um, you may laugh at this, but I've seen it. And, and uh, you've probably seen it on TV if you've never been to a church like that that does that. And they just make people keep doing it, keep doing it, utter the first thing that comes to your mouth and you'll find yourself speaking in tongues. And the simple answer is, yeah, you probably will, but it's got nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. And I don't hesitate to say that. I'm kind of beating this to death a lot, I, I realize, because I've mentioned some of this in other, other teachings on this series, but it's just so popular today. Uh, there's been meetings, too, where people just try to work up an excitement by clapping their hands or by repeating a simple chorus or a hymn, just one part of him, one line. That gets to be pure suggestion, pure psychology, and it's not needed. The way of the New Testament, it's the exact opposite. It's to go to him, to seek it of him. He's the giver. Jesus is the baptizer. You go to him, you tell him you want more of him. You want everything he has for you, and you want nothing that he does not have for you. You go to him. You don't need any psychological aids or anything else like that. You don't need to reduce the light and put up a illuminated cross over the pulpit and then chant things. It's just it's 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 just wrong. It's not needed. I've gone rather long with this session, so let me end with this note. The best way, according to the Apostle Paul, is the way that he outlines in First Corinthians thirteen. And look at the last verse in chapter twelve. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. There's, there's no passage of scripture that's been more abused and misinterpreted than the common way in which the quenchers of the Spirit use it, of course, is this. Yet I show you a more excellent way. They say, well, don't talk about or getting interested in gifts. Gifts are all right, but they're nothing. Go in for the graces. They interpret it like because they base their teaching on uh, certain translations of that statement, which is incorrect, yet show you an excellent way. But the translators kind of messed it up. There's no comparative at all in the original. It should be translated, moreover, I show you an excellent way. That's all. You may translate it like this, and yet I show you a way according to excellence. Well, let's forget all the psychobabble. What's Paul trying to say here? He's saying covet earnestly the best gifts, but moreover, I show you the way par excellence to obtain the gifts. That's a quote from a guy that was in the 18th century, Charles Hodge. You see, that's the exact opposite of those who say this is to dismiss and belittle the gifts. It can't mean that because the apostle takes up the subject again at the beginning of chapter 14 when he says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. He hasn't dismissed them. He's not contrasting the spiritual gifts with the graces of love and joy and all those things. No, he's saying if you really want the gifts, seek the graces of God. The best way to get the gifts is to seek the love of the Lord, his love to you, yours to him. And if you're filled with this love, then you're likely to get the best gifts. Without any question, this is the New Testament way of doing things. And it's the way of the saints throughout the centuries. Don't seek gifts directly. Seek them indirectly. Seek him. Seek his love. Seek his glory. Seek the knowledge of him. Seek the power to witness and to testify of him. Be filled with a love to him 
and then you will get whatever gifts he desires to give you. And if you don't, what will happen to you will be this. You may speak with the tongues of men and angels, but because you don't have that love, because you have not gone after his purposes, then you're going to be like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal, the scripture says. And that means if you do speak in tongues, it's going to be of no value if you're not doing it for the right reason. Would the scripture say, though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, you've been seeking them directly, not indirectly, and all knowledge, but I, and I have all faith that I could move mountains, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. It's no good. In other words, the prescription is seek him, seek his love, seek his life, seek to know him in everything. Be filled with love with him. <clears throat> not talking about the gifts always, not having meetings just about the gifts. No, meetings about him. Preach Jesus. Preach the glory of his person and his divine saviorhood. Always done. Preach him, seek him, love him, and I believe he'll give you the gifts that he wants to give you. You know, he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for all of us. So my friends, keep the balance. Keep your sense of proportion. Above all, be wary lest in your anxiety to get gifts you may hand yourself over, over to the psychologist or else to any evil spirits that are able to counterfeit even these choice and precious gifts of the Holy Spirit by the risen Lord. So I pray as I conclude this session, may God give us all a spirit of understanding and a spirit of wisdom with respect to all of this. I pray it for myself. I pray it for you. God bless you.